This is Love in the Air, and my name is Johannes Romperen. This is a podcast where I sit down with people and talk about love. In this episode, I'm meeting with Stefan Sagmeister in his office in, in New York. I heard about his movie, The Happy Film. Actually, I encourage you, if you haven't seen it already, to go and see it thehappyfilm.org either you stop here and watch the film or <laughs> or you you listen listen to this podcast and then see the film afterwards and come back and listen again because most of the talk it's going to be around topics and kind of questions that came up after seeing the film So he's in the film. He's in search of of happiness, and and love plays a big role in that. And and so I thought it could be interesting to meet up with Stefan and and talk about his thoughts on the topic of love. So I, I'm happy happy he said yes. And and this was actually my last last interview in, in the New York series so I, I was there with my baggage and headed headed to the airport directly after this but now this is the sixth of, of the ten talks that are going to be published here's the talk when was the movie recorded actually? we started the film in 2009 yeah. And it finished it in 2016. So it took seven years to do. It's quite a time. Yes. Yeah, it took much, much longer than we had ever thought it would take. Yeah. It was much more expensive than we ever <laughs> thought it would take, than, than, than we thought. And it was much more work intensive and much more difficult to do than we thought. <laughs> yes. So you wouldn't have, would you have done it when you if you knew kind of the, the process and of course there there happened no. a lot of things. I think that if we would have known from the beginning the amount of difficulties that we would have to go through, we probably would have not started it. Yeah. And it, from that point of view, maybe it's good to be naive. Yeah, you know, and it's quite often know. is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, because otherwise we would not have done the film. And looking back on it. You know, I'm still glad that we did do it because all sorts of interesting things came out of it, both for my and I should say our, because so many people worked on it, yeah, yeah, professional yeah, yeah. lives as yeah. well as for our personal lives, yeah. Was it also the exhibition? Did it come out of, of the, yes. the, the, the project, like kind of the process of, of making the movie? Yes, yeah. we first basically the, uh, the idea really was to make a film and then on the way, while we were making the film, we got you know, an offer to do an exhibition. And we said, oh, we don't want to do a regular exhibition. But if we could do one that's about happiness, we'd be interested in. So that really meant that in those seven or eight years, it became uh, almost like a three-legged project. Mm. I did talks about happiness yeah. in an un- un- that in many ways were also about the unfinished film or the film we were working on. Yeah. I got paid for those talks. That money went directly into the film to finance the film. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, we did the exhibition, which was ultimately also instrumental in us finishing the film, because exactly. the film had so much trouble that without the great feedback that constantly came in from the exhibition, yeah. I am sure we would have never finished it. Yeah. Or definitely from my point of view, I can say this as a, basically as 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me about the background? Like how, where, where did it come from the, the, the idea of, of, of the kind of pursuit of happiness and mm-hmm. kind of the theme of happiness? Well, ultimately, I think that I've always been interested in sort of like bigger questions. Mm. Why am I doing things? Yeah. Uh, why don't I stay in bed and watch Netflix? 
Uh, and when I pursued that question, I mostly wound up with, because ultimately I think I'll be happier getting up, going to the studio, working on something, yeah. than staying in bed watching Netflix. And I think as a second thing is I've always been interested in acting on self on the experience that I've had myself. Yeah. As opposed to let's say going down a more academic route and reading mm -hmm. reading much philosophy or so and then quoting these people in a piece of work. Yeah. And but I feel this is like still kind of typical artist approach. Like you you kind of go through the own own experience and exactly. then you create something yes. out of that. Yeah, yeah. But even in the art world, and specifically in a more academic art world, yeah, that's there's right, many that's people right. yeah. who basically create work based on theories that somebody else came yeah, up with. That's true, that's true. And uh, we at one time in the very beginning actually uh, specifically during the research phase and I talked to many scientists and I read many books. So at one time thought, oh, maybe we'll make more that sort of film. Mm. You know, where we have a lot of, we interview a lot of scientists, yeah. we'll, we'll look at a lot of data and we'll basically say, we'll make a film that says, this is what this world thinks would make you happier. Mm. Yeah. And uh, there were two things happening in that phase. One was that I got scared that I'm not an expert in that world and that whatever I have to say or whatever I would suck out of this field doesn't really have necessarily a lot of believability because why should people listen to what a graphic designer says about this? And number two, when I read the research by many experts, yeah. I noticed that whenever they talked about their own experience, it became so much more interesting. Mm. Even if it didn't make, even if, like, you know, let's say if the same expert also, if the same expert commissioned a study with a thousand people that said that, but he tried it also out himself, mm. and that, sounds, that sounds, said something else, I found the self-trial much more impressive and more interesting to read mm -hmm. and I listened to that much more than the thousand people study she commissioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And noticing that I thought, you know, obviously as a designer you want to make something that's interesting, that people will see that might be the, the better way to go down. Yeah. And that's when it really changed from a film about happiness in general, to a film about my own happiness mm. that solved the problem, I am the world's best expert on my own happiness, Exactly, it solved yeah. that problem and it seemed also a more enticing thing to do. Mm. What I didn't count on was that a film about my own happiness by definition would have to become a very personal film <laughs> which created its own set of problems yeah. and uh, Not this being our first film, mm. we already had so many just craft and technical questions yeah. that putting another layer, layer yeah. of question on top of it, plus making it then a open-ended film because I didn't know what's going to come out of these uh, uh, of these experiments, experiments yeah. and my personality is actually much more planning. Mm. So I'd be much happier with a finished script that we discussed and agreed upon and then we shoot. Yeah. And then we say, okay, day one we shoot page one to four exactly. and, page yeah. and so on. And so uh, this created, at least for me, maybe not so much uh, for some of the collaborators, but that for me created a, a very fraught environment because I never really knew do we even have a film? Exactly. Like, is this even watchable or showable? Can we, will be able to cut this together? Like, you know, even after days of shooting, 
I had no idea is this thing usable at yeah. all, or yeah. are we just completely wasting time and resources? I remember one scene there in, was quite in the beginning where you were talking about uh, kind of also the anxiety, like like the things you do that that if you if you go like finding the balance of, of mm-hmm. doing things, like either 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 you go into something new and that's scary, or then you do something you've done before and that's boring. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the I would say that from that point of view, the filming was probably a little bit too far in the new and scary part. Yeah. And uh, uh, created uh, long stretches of anxiety. Yeah. You know, also I think that there is a, in graphic design, I went to school for it, I, I really learned this from the ground up. So that also means that if you're designing something and you know it's not good, there is especially with experience, all the three or four tricks that (laughs) allow you to get out of a hole, you know. In film, I just basically, you know, specifically in the editing room, like I looked at something and I knew it wasn't good, Mm. but it it didn't mean that I necessarily knew how to change it to make it watchable. And maybe one last thing on there, I think it's we all, by definition, are pretty sophisticated when it comes to viewing films. Mm -hmm. Because we've all seen so much and simply because we've seen so many things, I think without us really knowing our tastes became quite sophisticated. Yeah, and demanding somehow. Yes, demanding, exactly. While uh, that doesn't mean at all that we became sophisticated in doing it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was funny or interesting to see kind of when watching the movie, I was kind of somehow expecting also like like turning around the happiness, but it, at the end it felt like it was much much about the search for love, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and therefore kind of interesting in hearing what what is what's kind of your thought on on love as a general topic. What what does it kind of mean for you? I mean, I don't think that it's well. Let's let's. Start it differently. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you, of course, the, the, the film inadvertently and definitely not planned became quite a bit about relationships. Mm. And, uh, but this was not the idea at all. This just was basically, this is what happened. Yeah, so that, That's the thing when you do documentary movies. Specifically, like. <laughs> that's what you do when you do an open-ended documentary yeah, yeah, where yeah. you leave, where you don't know where exactly. the whole thing is yeah. going. Yeah, of course you can, you can write. Script documentaries. There's many other yeah. documentaries, specifically historic ones, also that yeah. know exactly, where exactly. It's gonna, what it's going to be. Exactly. Um, and I actually don't think that it would be particularly smart for me if I'm look if I'm going um, if my desire is to lead the happiest life that I can, Hmm. I don't think that saying, okay, let me fall in love, that's going to be the answer to that question. Hmm. Uh, I ultimately think that actually the conclusion that the film sort of carefully gets to, but that I now, if I would redo the film, would underline three times with three exclamation marks when I, in the film, sort of like say it much more carefully, is that ultimately the best way to increase my own level of well-being would be to look at my relationships and 
a partner or a love partner would be part of that, but it goes much deeper than that. Mm. It goes into friendships, it goes into family, it goes into acquaintances. Yeah. And uh, see how I can behave myself to put those on a good level, those relationships. Mm. Like how can I how can I behave that my relationships to other people are in a good situation? And then here and there happiness can come out mm. from in between. And the same would be true for work. I can try to put my work on a level, like engineer, like design my work in some sort of way mm. where it's you know, there are, there are certain things that I can do. Like, you know, if I have a, like, if I realize meaning is important to me, yeah. how can I change my work that it becomes more meaningful? What can I do? And once I arrive at that, where it's on a pretty good level, happinesses can come out from in between. And the same would be true for something that's bigger than myself. Mm that for many people, for some people is religion, for some people spirituality, for other people it's a big cause, the environment or whatever, maybe right-wing uh, destruction, but like a sort of like a bigger cause. Yeah. And I think that if I can both put those three levels, relationships, work and a bigger cause onto these levels, I think that's my best, that's a uh, That's the best strategy. And of course, love is in some ways part mm. of this, but it's not the center of it. Yeah, and somehow I think... By that. love, if you mean, of course, if you mean love as, a, as part of a relationship. Mm. Love. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is of course an essential question also. What do we mean with love? Exactly. And, and what can we mean with love? And, and I'm also interested in, in kind of conceiving love as as maybe something bigger and, and yes. energy and then maybe something that that is existing in in all these three things you, absolutely you said yeah meaning if you define it or if you look at love as something that you see as more holistic mm. about humankind that you basically just are well disposed towards humanity then of course all three would be very, very much part of that, yeah. How do you have a defined, like, bigger cause? Is it something you, that's some you're... Well, I think that the things that we're working on right now yeah. uh, is uh, basically doing a, a new big subject, even though I promised myself never to do a big subject <laughs> again, but we are doing a new big subject. So it's still a, a secret? Uh, no, I can talk about yeah. it. It's about beauty, ah. and we are not making a film. Yeah. But we will make an exhibition and okay. a good number of other materials about it. Yeah. So like the, the, the trajectory in a sentence or two is that we feel, both Jessica and I, it's a project we're doing together. Yeah. It's uh, both Jessica and I feel that during the 20th century, beauty was kind of pushed towards the side in favor of function. Mm. Like, you know, with modernism and exactly. the Bauhaus yeah. and many, many other uh, historic realities, functionality became somehow much more important. And beauty in many ways, also by the avant-garde, but also in the art world and design, is sort of like came to be seen as something unimportant, sort of like maybe even either kitschy or conservative, yeah, or yeah. sort of like 19th century, old time, in the worst way, maybe even fascist, because, you know, like in all sorts of ways, yeah. like just basically undesirable. And we think that's a mistake. Like we think that uh, specifically also, if you look at it from a historic point of view, that literally since the dawn of civilization, and even before the dawn of civilization, there is very, very strong evidence that humanity took beauty very seriously and worked very hard to create beautiful environments and did well in them. And, you know, I don't even have to go to the Renaissance or so, yeah, but I mean, yeah. even like in the Stone Age times, there is evidence that that is the case. So we want to make an exhibition that basically points this out that uh, the 
the neglect of beauty, specifically of human-made beauty that surrounds us, that yeah. we live in, uh, is, um, is a mistake and that, that it should that, be brought back. That's really interesting. I haven't reflected about that, mm -hmm. but, but now when you talk about it, I notice how, how I kind of, I feel, I, I appreciate beauty, but at the same time, I, there is this a bit, a bit of loathing, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like that, that, that in a way, that still kind of practicalities must come first. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, 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 and I haven't never kind of thought about that in this kind of mm -hmm. value-based system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that's, it's, it's in, yeah, and it's, it's kind of always these kind of situations where you, you kind of, you twist your mind and you, 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 you get a new angle. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, and basically, so in the very best sense, like, Like all projects that we've ever worked on, yeah. uh, you have times in the project when, they, when it's easy and you're like mm. completely into it. And then there are times in the project where it's really difficult and you really have to jump through hoops. And of course, we have already had a couple of difficult, difficult times with the beauty project. And it's somehow pleasing that when the difficulties come, that when you think back, why did I actually even start this project? It's sort of like grounded in a proper place, as in, like, I find... Because I think it's actually what I should be doing. Like, it's a, it's a subject that I think is positive, that is, uh, that, is, that is interesting, that we have a different point of view, and that uh, it can be helpful. And ultimately, I think whatever we do that can be either helpful or, or uh, delightful to other people is worthwhile to do. And that's true for you if you do a blog, exactly. and it's true yeah. for us as a designer, or it's true for somebody who sweeps the street, or somebody who is the mayor of yeah. New York City. Yeah. Going back to the, uh, the thoughts that, that came out of the movie, uh, it made, you made it really kind of showed also how, um, well, two questions. One is like the decision of, of, of making it personal and really kind of opening yourself up. And, and there was also the thought that, okay, does, is this, that you got somebody got criticized, mm -hmm. your, your girlfriend criticized you from, from being too open. Mm -hmm. and, and is it something that, kind of the openness, is it something I think it's still something maybe in your persona, something that you ha you've been having with you for a long time of, of kind of, as you said, using yourself as material mm -hmm. and, and or do you think it, it somehow became even more visible in the process of, of the documentary movie? At I least. mean, I think both. It's one is that I think pretty early on, no, a couple of, I'm not sure how far I should go back, yeah, yeah, but ultimately, yeah. like, you know, I grew up in Austria, I went to art school yeah. in Austria, and Austria, you could argue, was sort of the cradle of modernism. Yeah. Like, you know, with, with uh, laws and who was a big influence on the Bauhaus and stuff, so it kind of started there. So when I went to art school, of course, modernism was a huge deal since it in many ways came from there. Uh, I was very much from the beginning somewhat suspicious of it because it had this objectivity and it basically at that point of course it was also had already been around for 80 years so there was a conservativism around that and I have very strong lotism and noticed and it became basically this de facto style on how to communicate yeah. you know definitely in corporate communications I mean mm -hmm. it's all according to the Bauhaus grid and so on yeah. like you know and uh so, for a long time I had felt that there must be something more personal, more human, more direct that would also work better in communication. And then I had a little bit of a, a pivotal moment uh, at the school where I teach, at the School of Visual Arts, where uh, an, a speaker had come in to speak to my students. Um, an old gay man, a British man called Quentin Crisp. He's the guy that Sting did that song about. I'm an oh. Englishman in New York, 
who was very much Oscar Waldisch. And one of the things that he said was that he used to say to journalists, everybody is interesting. And the journalist said, but Mr. Crisp, this is just not the case. There are so many boring people out there. And then he uh, retracted it and said, well, everybody who's honest is interesting. Mm. That sort of like hit me like a little lightning bolt. Because I just felt that, wow, so in communication, in design, if I'm honest, it will be interesting. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I felt that being honest isn't so difficult. I Meaning it's actually more difficult to have a great idea. Being mm-hmm. honest is just sort of like really thinking, is this really what I think? Is yeah. this really yeah. what happened? Or put, do I put that out there to look good? Yeah. Or to have another motive? But yeah. is, and I'm not sure if I'm already really always there no, at of the absolutely not. Of end not. of it. But I think that's a but really a good... Try. Yeah, and, and there's the intention. And, and, yeah. and I know this, and that's something I think a lot about... I'm a photographer, mm-hmm. so that's something I think about a lot in my work as well. Like, I think that's... And, and, it's, in, and it's nice to see also, hear the feedback from... Let's say when, when you come from an honest place and you kind of bring yourself to the table, how... And you kind of open yourself up, yeah. it kind of also gives people around you the security to also open up yes. and it's, yeah. kind of, it's kind of invitation <laughs> yes and uh, there's something really beautiful yeah. about that and yeah. and somehow magical yeah. uh, and 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 but there is there has to be I don't know courage but as you said it it's something it's much easier to do that than to try to fake it <laughs> yes yeah. yeah and it's uh and be I don't know, we saw the results of it. Like, the time when this meeting with Mr. Crisp was, was a long time ago, yeah. but I remember it was during the time when we did, when we were working on Media Look, our first book. So it's yeah. a long time ago, we're talking the year 2000, I think. And as a result, we made Media Look much more open, like, you know, published things like how much did we got paid, how many hours did we, did we spend on it, yeah. which of the pieces do we actually think are good, which do we think are bad, and and all that stuff, like things that at least at the time were unusual to be t- discussing, that we would even include bad pieces in a book and talk about why they are bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but that also made it mm-hmm. in, in, in exactly the same way that Quentin Crisp said it, a more interesting book. And yeah. the meaning, even though that book is now 18 years old, it's still selling well. Yeah. And it's some of the work, if I look at this now, looks dated. Yeah. You know, so I, my assumption, I don't know 100%, but my assumption would be that people who buy this now is they're buying it for the text because that's, it seems like a, an honest text uh, yeah, 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 about, yeah, yeah. you know, this. And little part of the world. And you see like how, in a way, how much added value kind of the honesty <laughs> kind of gives to things. And, and, and it's not then just surface, it kind of goes, yeah. it goes deeper. Yeah. Um, so it was clear so to basically really finally answer your question. So it was clear once we decided it's going to be a film about my own happiness. Yes. It was also pretty clear that we better make it as honest as we can, yeah. uh, as we are possible as possible to do, because not just for moral reasons, but also because it's going to be the only way that the film is going to be interesting. Um, just general, like I've been, I've been tackling the theme of love from different angles and depending on, on who, the people I'm talking with. Um, with you, I'm also interested in, in a way, the, the love for work. And because I feel, I feel there's, there is kind of the same, as you, see, you mentioned, these kind of three, three levels. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel kind of the intention, I, I think you pour a lot of the, I would say love energy mm-hmm. <laughs> into into your work, and, and you, 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 it, it looks like it feels like you get a lot of gratification from from kind of what the creation gives you. Is this something you you thought about, or or like 
like the in a way the the role of of work in in mm -hmm. your life i mean i think that we uh, i think we didn't shoot for it mm. or maybe a little bit i mean obviously there's we did shoot some of the um, how we created this or that yeah uh it became quite clear in the editing room uh sort of like more as a subtext mm. i mean it's not like the overall theme of the film but also when we showed it in the very beginning like you know sort of like towards the end of the editing process when we showed it to a couple of you know friends and family to see if we missed things if people get it or you know basically when we showed it before it was before the final cut that came back quite a bit that it seems that even in the context of happiness that it seemed that that what made me actually the happiest out of these things were, were involved in work yeah so uh and i mean there is no so i'd say we didn't really aim the film in that direction but just by having cameras around i think that's definitely one of the things that came out yeah, yeah. and uh, it's you know ultimately the ultimately the film is loosely based on a very very loosely based you know on uh, this book that Jonathan Haidt had written that you know it was the reason why we selected him as a scientific yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, supervisor and uh, I of course had uh, had decided to concentrate on something from chapter two, which was, you know, basically to follow these, to pursue these three techniques, you know, uh, 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 meditation, cognitive therapy, and medication, uh, to see if I could elevate my, my well-being. But ultimately, and he kind of like, you know, corrects me at the end, you know, saying that it would have been probably smarter to uh, pursue how my relationships are working and how my work is working and something bigger than myself, which really is the conclusion of his book. Yeah. Uh, and it was very interesting that I knew this conclusion before I've ever met him. Yeah. I knew it before we started filming and I only understood it properly maybe almost a year after we were done with the film. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's ultimately also it's a good example of why so few of the self-help books actually work. And I don't, I'm not calling Jonathan for self-help book. No, no, no. But I think it's just that many of these things you have to experience deeply yourself to properly understand them. Like I can understand something with my mind, but that doesn't mean that I will be able to actually implement these things in my daily life. Yeah, I mean, it's integration is, is something then it's a daily practice. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you, and, and you, don't, yeah. can't, you can't yeah. stop that, you kind of... And meaning, I, you know, in the course of the film, I didn't really read a lot of self-help, but I did read some. Yeah. And I read, you know, a good amount of psychology. And uh, I think that much of the content is actually totally fine. It's just that a book doesn't deliver you enough of a involvement for many people to, definitely for me, yep. to actually properly implement this. Exactly. And if I compare what the cognitive therapy told me there was a lot of overlapping content to something that I could have read in a book, but already having a coach there exactly. made it much, much easier, yeah. much, much better. Meaning it's the, that's a direct comparison to chances that you're going to get fit mm. if you hire a fitness coach twice a week and you're going to go to the gym are just higher than if you buy a book at Barnes and Nobles uh, about how to get fit. Yes, yeah. no, no, certainly. How is it some of the kind of, let's say meditation, is it something you, you, st you, you still have in your life or is it? I actually don't, but I could easily see going back to all three. Yeah. Uh, I found that ultimately all three worked. Mm. 
to some extent, none of them would radically change my life around. Yeah. And I think that there is something, it, something disingenuous about all three segments that sometimes have claims that they just can't deliver on. And I think it's ultimately very disappointing to people because they feel... They want to have a quick fix. Then. Well, of course, everybody wants to have a quick fix, including <laughs> me. But they feel if they don't get that life around changing results, that they somehow even fucked that up because other people did or so. And it's, uh, you know, they wound up being worse off than they, mm. when they went in. Like, I found that all three of them work. Uh, the cognitive therapy, the, the meditation part, I have not been back, but I could easily see going back to it. Uh, the, I've actually just had a discussion yesterday night mm. with a friend of possibly going back into cognitive therapy. And uh, in, I very much like, uh, uh, like it because it seems a, def a defined time frame. Like, you know, I could think, I could see, okay, let's have another 10 session exactly. about this. Yeah. It's not this endless mm. Freudian therapy where after 10 years you're not quite sure if you're better <laughs> off or not. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. some of my yeah. acquaintances have reported back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, therapy also, it's, it's such a huge field yeah. in, in, in kind of how... how yeah. Um, I'm gonna throw the ball um, to you with just the topic of of love. I mean, if if you hear it, what what is it that kind of what do you think of? Well, I mean, I think by by and large, I think my first connotation or my first connection with love would definitely be one that's that's uh, that's a love relationship. Mm -hmm. So, can say more. Since I'm a heterosexual man, I would think of it as a relationship between a man and a woman. And I have to say, from a pure, in-the-moment happiness point of view, I was never happier than falling freshly in love. Mm. Like, uh, but of course, I'm also extremely aware that this situation is not a long-term sustainable situation. Yeah. Like, and I was. Uh, before I did any research, I thought it was a particular crook to me that this sort of like, you know, does this, this amount of passion does go down and sort of like becomes more normal and uh, that this was kind of like almost my fault mm. and was surprised to see that when I read, a, when I started to read psychology, that there is a whole bunch of research on that and that there's very good research that basically says that this curve will come down and has to come down and it's completely natural and mm. measurable with endorphins coming down because it would actually be unhealthy to be passionate in love for years because those levels uh, uh, of, of these particular chemicals would actually be unhealthy to have yeah. in the body. <laughs> Not something that's very popular to say in a first date. No, no, yeah. of course not. There was the struggle of, of, of kind of finding and kind of settling down and being being comfortable with being in a boring, <laughs> in quotation marks, relationship. Is it something, something you processed like after that and kind of your thoughts on, on that and, and how has kind of the relationships evolved after that? What do you think? I mean, I think it's definitely something that I'm much more aware of. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not in a long-term relationship right now, so I can't grandiosely claim I've learned this, I settled down, I'm now like, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I would say it's something that is pleasing to my thinking mind yeah. that this is this is where my expectations should be mm. and in a very good 
in a very in the very best case scenario this would this is what I can reasonably expect. Mm. You know, Jonathan did a, a whole bunch of research with uh, with people uh, who were married 40 years and longer. Mm. And what he found there was basically companionate love with a little bit of passion mm. uh, put in. But it was not that crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. falling into love uh, that's just continued mm. for decades. Yeah, uh, especially in the movie, there, there seemed to be some kind of revelations, which, which was as a viewer, it was nice to kind of see that. Especially like the, the I like the scenes when you you're in the therapy mm-hmm. and and like like actually um, I'm okay. I don't I don't I, I wouldn't really need to be here, but because but this is my project, so I'll be here. And and interesting to see like then then suddenly. There comes kind of layers, and there some, comes some understandings of ah, okay, and this is kind of reflecting on mm-hmm. on the way I act on on, mm-hmm. on on relationships, and it's interesting that like that, and also like that kind of in any age you're able to in a way learn <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and and kind of learn new things about yourself, mm-hmm. and that kind of comes also to. Uh, one of my ideas also of, of, of love, kind of the character of love as, as in a, like a bigger picture is that there's some kind of playfulness and, 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 and curiousness mm-hmm. uh, that I feel, because I also am thinking about this like con- concept or idea that like acting through love, love like having love as a, as a base for doing things and, and somehow when looking at, at your work and your energy, it kind of feels that there is this kind of playfulness and, and I think, it can, can, would, you, would it be, how would it feel to say that it kind of comes from a source of love, like this kind of curiousness to life and this kind of, in a way, boyish, uh, somehow I feel it really, somehow I feel the energy really loveful <laughs> and, 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 and really somehow it's really tangible. I mean, it's lovely for you to say so. <laughs> it, I would definitely be very, very happy with that description. It's, I think, difficult to claim that for mm. myself. But if you would have the impression, if you have an impression like this from the film, it's, I mean, it would be wonderful. I mean, it's a wonderful, that would be a one, like that definitely is not something that we went for, yeah. but if you have that impression from the film, that yeah, would definitely be wonderful. And I can say that if I do have it, I definitely don't have it all the time. Mm, no, of course not. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's yeah, in, in times when things work, mm. I can see me being in that space. Yeah. And then there's other times when things don't work that well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you are you planning on new films? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, I found it uh, I found it an incredibly difficult medium. Yeah. Uh, with uh, uh, that I'm super glad I tried out. Yeah. And was very, uh, you know, I mean, obviously part of, you know, when I had the first idea when it was still just me of making a project on on happiness, it almost immediately said, oh, it should be a film, Mm. simply because I thought it would be a great challenge to do it. And I wanted the challenge. Now it became a bigger challenge than I had thought it would be, but that definitely was part of it. Like at that point, we could have also said, let's do a book, or I could have said, let's do a book. And we've done many books on subjects, and I very much, well, would have had a lot of experience doing books. It would have been a much, much easier thing. And uh, I think that film, like documentary film in many ways is like avant-garde jazz, you know, where you have probably tens of thousands of people worldwide in it that are 
and that are good at it, or definitely many thousands. Yeah. And but there literally is like a handful, maybe a dozen, who is actually able to make a living from it. Yes. And so I find these, you know, everybody else who is in it, either like basically supports themselves with teaching or with advertising or with something that's outside of that immediate field and outside of their immediate interest, which makes it sort of an unhealthy mm. profession yeah. in many ways. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I have a last um, thought I want to bounce with you. Um, in my kind of exploration of, of, of love, uh, I came, I came across kind of I think about this like doing things out of love, um, and then kind of when exploring that, I, I came to fear, that mm -hmm. that and and then I kind of felt that it's some kind of a, like a, pole, pole a, a different pole. You have like love mm -hmm. and fear, and and how quite often I feel, uh, when we feel challenges of of doing something that our heart says to us that it it kind of it, it has like fear. Fear kind of comes in the way, and mm -hmm. then we kind of have to have to choose that. Okay, we either go, we go through the fear, we go against mm -hmm. it, or or then we back up. And and then when I was spending time kind of in the fear zone mm -hmm. <laughs> and doing things that that were frightened, quite quite quickly, you felt okay. It's not that dangerous that I thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then I found another obstacle, and and it was shame, mm -hmm. and and it. It, it's it's currently something that I'm I'm at the moment exploring mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and getting getting to know my shame and the subjects of shame um, and and getting kind of also back to what I, I asked you in the beginning of 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 this kind of when you go into into new things you feel anxious and and there is probably element of of, of fear. Oh, totally. And, and, and what, what are the fears and how do you... And I think also I'm talking about, in quotation marks, successful people, uh, uh, that I think there's a, a big element of kind of going, kind of doing things even though I'm scared as hell. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I think that that's kind of... That's a breaking point of, of, mm -hmm. of going, in a way, like developing as, mm -hmm. as a human being, yeah. um, and and and. I mean, there's a there's a wonderful quote, and I'm normally not so big at quotes, but there's a wonderful quote by the the trainer who used to train Mike Tyson. His mm -hmm. name is Gus D'Amato, and he said, I paraphrase, uh, the hero and the and the weakling." are really the same, both are scared shitless. It's just that the hero finds a way to overcome the fear. And uh, I don't know, but I always thought it was a strong thing. Yeah, and yeah. I've had, at one time, I met a young designer, like not even 30, in Brazil, who did his whole talk about, about using the butterflies in his belly mm. as an indicator yeah. that he's doing something worthwhile, yeah. that he's going for something that's new, at least to him, and that he is, and he basically was saying that if he doesn't have the butterflies, it just means he's repeating himself and it's boring. And uh, I found that to be a very enviable thing. And I think, I do believe that while like most other things in my life this whole thing comes a little bit in waves like you know my self-confidence comes a little bit in waves my ability to overcome fear comes a little bit in waves and it's they tend to build one on the other as simple as you know like let's say i live in an apartment building with many units if i'm already greeting the people in the elevator heartingly in the morning and talk a little bit to the doorman and they, it's sort of like those can be little seeds for the day going more energetic, more jumping over fears than days where I, I don't know, sort of like 
go quietly out the building, yeah, trying yeah. not to interact or so. And the, uh, I think that ultimately overcoming fear in some ways does a little bit build on each other, meaning if I've done it a number of times and see and have, and have seen that it always works out well, um, probably will, can be more inclined to continue, but it is, it's not like once you've done it, you've mastered it and, yeah. uh, uh, and then that is the case. But we did have... Uh, but you, but it's, it's like anything you, anything you kind of, it's like a muscle you, you train and yes. it, it becomes easier, but it's, it's, not ne it's never easy, yeah. but, but, but kind of you, you have more strength in going exactly. and in the yeah. boiling, boiling room. Yeah, and if you haven't trained it for another, if you've been good at it, mm. and then you didn't do any training for two years, you're almost starting from scratch. <laughs> like, or you kind of like you're a little bit better off as if you've never done it, but it's you you have to do a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's I think that in that sense, it's very comparable. And you know, there's a, a sentence in the film that says, you know, having guts always works out for me, which mm. is pretty much that that there is. I, in the meantime, can think of a couple of isolated parts where I had the conscious thought I should just overcome the fear and it didn't work out, but it's the extreme exception. Yeah. Like it is, I would say, not just 9 out of 10, but I would even say almost 99 out of 100 times it does work out. And the real enemy is the self-censure in your head that says, oh, they're not going to like it, yeah. they're going to reject it, uh, there's no way for me, there's, it makes no sense for me to go up there now because it's going to be no, like, you know, yeah, all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good. I think this is a, a very good place to, to Excellent. end. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much no, for your time. Thank you. No problem at all. Thanks yeah. for coming in. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I thank all the listeners that's been with me. As always, I'm, I'm really keen on, on getting some feedback. Johannes.Rompanen at gmail.com is probably the best way to reach me. Or then just find me through Facebook and send me a mes messenger message. I give a thank you to Yuri Pirinen. He's been helping me with the sound work. And also the, the, the music you hear here in the background is, is by him. So, still four more episodes of the New York series in, in, in English and after that we're going to continue and finish again. Thank you for being with me. Bye bye.